Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks, two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Hello and welcome to The Freelancer Show. This is episode 314 and today we're going to be talking about how to get started freelancing while you're still employed. Uh, today on the panel we have Eric Dietrich. Hey everybody. And I'm Jeremy Green. Uh, so Eric, you want to kick us off here? Kind of, you know, get started? Sure. Um, this topic arose out of a question that was asked in um, the Slack that my agency has hit subscribe. Um, there's a lot of full-time employee freelance, or I'm sorry, full-time employees in there, um, freelancers as well. We do uh, logging for tech companies. So that's a side hustle for pretty much everybody involved, whether they're side hustling in addition to freelancing or full-time employment is kind of a split. And so the people, there are some people in there that are currently um, working nine to five, but maybe looking to later freelance. And there was some interest around the topic of how do you get started with that? And one logical kind of low risk play there is that you can start moonlighting, building yourself up a business and um, then eventually kind of make the flip over to being a free agent. Um, so the question came up, how would you go about starting to moonlight? Um, I think the way the person phrased it was, how would you dip an oar in the water without having your employer break it off? And um, that seemed <laughs> like a pretty interesting question because um, that's not easy. I've actually gone that route myself um, and kind of seen the issue from a, a number of different sides, uh, especially later as a consultant and uh, whatnot. But it is, I think, a topic that could certainly occupy an entire show. Yeah. I love it. So I guess maybe to start with, um, the, the very first thing that occurs to me, that if you're a full-time employee and you're thinking of starting a freelance career via Moonlighting, the very, very first thing you should do is go review your employment paperwork because some employers, especially larger firms, will have you sign um, non-compete agreements, non-disclosures, um, uh, different sorts of like intellectual property agreements. So somewhere in your paperwork, you're going to have stuff that you signed at the beginning of your employment. You will probably want to dust that off and give it a read because there are a lot of employers out there that will um, put restrictions on what you can do even when you're not in the office. And those can range from pretty reasonable, like don't go taking our clients to extremely draconian, like we own everything you ever think of or do. Um, so you'll first want to know what you're dealing with there. Um, uh, Jeremy, have you ever encountered anything like that? Or do you have any uh, opinions there about those types of agreements or experience with them? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that is definitely the first place that you want to start. You definitely want to make sure that you, you know, don't run afoul of any contracts that you've signed. Because uh, that's a great way to just get off on totally the wrong foot uh, with your employer. And yeah, I've, I've definitely had or have seen, you know, employment agreements that, in my opinion, were very draconian. Um, you know, some that even basically prohibited 
uh, getting paid to do work for anyone other than other than the employer. Uh, you know, kind of a we own you and everything you ever do sort of a mentality. Um, and if that's what you find yourself in, you know, the answer to the question of how do you start freelancing may be that you don't until you have changed your current employment situation. Yeah, fully agree with that. Uh, just out of curiosity, have you ever as a freelancer been asked to sign something that was restrictive that way? I can't imagine that happens. I haven't, but you know, maybe it does. Uh, I have, but I I kind of get the feeling that it was just somebody had hastily thrown together what they thought uh, resembled a, you know, a MSA basically, but they had cribbed a bunch of stuff from their employment contract. Mm. Uh, and so I've, I've had, yeah, I've had clients ask me to sign, people ask you to sign weird stuff sometimes. Like, you know, a lot of times <laughs> people will refer to it as an NDA but it is kind of a combination NDA master services agreement and non-compete. Uh, and I've several times, lots of times have had to especially push back on non-compete portions. Um, those are, can often be written overly broad. Uh, I remember seeing one that basically said you can't work for anybody else that does e-commerce. Uh, and I, <laughs> you know, had to push back very strongly on that one. Uh, and it was a company that I was going to do some uh, pretty uh, pretty custom Shopify app development for. And, you know, they rightfully so didn't want me to take code that I wrote for their custom app and go sell it to one of their direct competitors who is competing in their same space. But their initial language, you know, basically said you can't compete, you know, you can't do Shopify work for anybody else. And you know, we talked about that. They were completely reasonable about it. Once I pointed out kind of the, you know, over overbearing nature of what they had asked for. And, you know, we refined that language to just basically define their very narrow market segment and said that I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't do work within the next two years for anybody that competes directly with them in that very narrow segment. And I was, I was fine with that. Sure. I can actually relate. I was kind of chuckling to myself a little because lately for hit subscribe, um, hit subscribe does blog posts and other forms of content for companies that market to software developers. So we have a collection of authors that are side hustlers and it's mainly writing blog posts. And over the last few months, um, with prospects, we've seen some master services agreements that were, let's put it this way. We would have been immediately in violation of on day one saying things <laughs> like you can't, <laughs> You can't work for anyone else while you work for us. You yeah. have to give us a hundred days notice if you're going to not do what. So, but um, the reason I'm kind of piggybacking on there is is something you mentioned was my experience too, which is that as a business a freelancer, um, companies are typically pretty reasonable when you come back and you want to mark these things up. Um, but what you'll find sometimes as an employee is while they're going to be less predisposed because you have less leverage um, to marking things up, that is also an avenue that's available to you. So um, if you really want to start moonlighting, realistically speaking, if you have a draconian non-compete agreement, the thing you're probably going to need to do is find another employer. But you might inquire about 
doing some moonlighting. Um, if you really want to stay at the company and you're, you're not worried about how that will be received, sometimes they might uh, make amendments to these type of agreements. Um, it could be worth asking if you don't think it would jeopardize your position too much. It's probably not the route I would go because employers tend not to like that sort of thing. And if you've already signed, they don't have a lot of incentive. Um, yeah. But if it's the kind of thing where you're thinking of maybe jumping ship anyway to go to somewhere more permissive, you might as well ask. But on balance, the, I'd say the first thing you've got to do is make sure that you're not operating under the restrictions of one of these types of agreements. You could always just try it and hope not to get caught, but I certainly wouldn't advocate that. I don't really like living my life waiting for the other shoe to drop and maybe getting sued. I don't know if you have thoughts on that. I'm just kind of quietly doing your own thing and, and seeing what happens wouldn't be for me personally. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that there's necessarily anything morally objectionable to that. As long as you go about it the right way, you know, you, you can't be doing your moonlighting stuff while you're on the clock for your day job. You know, that mm -hmm. that's a line that you don't want to cross because you're going to get yourself potentially in all sorts of trouble uh, with that, you know, you don't want to use the company equipment. You know, if your day yeah, job has, has issued you a laptop, you probably don't want to do your freelancing stuff on their laptop uh, for a whole lot of reasons. Uh, one of the main ones being that probably your agreements, your employment agreements probably say something to the effect of anything you create on company equipment belongs to the company. Uh, and so there you could be exposing a lot of your work to, you know, claims of ownership by your employer, which you probably don't want to do. Uh, and then also, you know, if you are trying to stay under the radar uh, by doing work on their machines, you're potentially giving them a way that they're, you know, they're going to ask you to take your machine down to IT to have them look at something and then they can look around and see, hey, what have, what have you been up to on here? Why do you have all these programs installed that we don't actually use here? Uh, you know, just a whole can of worms. So, you know, it, there are ways to do that, I think, that are completely okay and fine, but you, you have to be careful about it and make sure that you don't stray into a bad territory. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Whether you're kind of quietly doing your own thing or whether you're on the up and up or frankly, probably the most common situation and the one in which I actually found myself when I started moonlighting is that there's just nothing about it one way or the other. So you don't explicitly have permission from your employer. Mm -hmm. But um, when I did it, I also hadn't signed anything to the contrary. So there I just kind of quietly did it and um, established definite boundaries. So as Jeremy's saying here, um, I did not use the company's laptop. I didn't do this work while I was, you know, sitting in the office working on a desktop there. Didn't do it during company free time. So the more you can segment, the better. Because whatever your situation, what you don't want to give your employer the ability or rationale to do is to say, you're doing poorly at your job because you have this other priority. And, and really, for the most part, that's what companies are aiming to stop from happening. Yep. Frankly speaking, it's really unlikely that if you are moonlighting and making an extra few hundred dollars a week, your employer is going to like try to sue you for damages or come after you in any way. I think most of those policies are really aimed at um, kind of retaining 
the ability to do a first strike, if you will, and preventing that altogether. So however you pursue it, don't give them any reason to be right about needing to do that. You know, be professional, be ethical. If you're going to moonlight, spend your evenings and weekends doing it. Um, you know, don't do it while you're at the office or working on company equipment. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, kind of to that point, I think the, the goal of most of those types of agreements is that if people are paying you a full-time salary, they want the best of your efforts. And those types of agreements, I think most often are just kind of meant to ensure that they, they are getting the best of your efforts. Um, you know, granted, there are certainly some employers that are more draconian about it and have kind of more ulterior motives than that. But, you know, I think for most places, if you're continuing to deliver your best effort and, you know, getting your work done and all that kind of stuff, a lot of people aren't going to have big problems with it. Yeah. So it becomes, I guess, a matter then of your appetite for people at your office kind of knowing what you're doing. And that can really run the gamut too. Like I know Mm -hmm. people who are very upfront about that and um, maybe were from the get go with that job where, you know, it it is no secret whatsoever that they go home uh, at night and do some moonlighting or have a consulting practice. Um, I've even encountered companies where, especially if you come in from the beginning saying, Hey, I have this, side business or I have, um, whatever, or I plan to have this side business or whatever, um, negotiating that from the start is certainly an option. And so you can have it as sort of, um, you know, all cards on the table. Um, if you're going to do something like that, one piece of advice I would offer Mm -hmm. is to make sure that your own niche and specialty is not in any way competitive with your companies, nor is it, um, trying to deal with their, customers or contacts, you don't want to be using your relationship with your employer as a sales pipeline. Yeah. The, one of the quickest ways to get yourself in trouble, I think is probably anything that even resembles poaching customers from your employer and, you know, competing directly with them is probably not great. Even if you're not poaching uh, competitors is just likely to, you know, put people on edge when they're when they're thinking about the situation, and that's really not what you want. Um, yeah. So as you were talking there, I just realized that uh, I actually do have kind of more experience about this than I had remembered. It's been a long time since I thought about it, but uh, when I was in college, my last couple of years in college, I worked for a publishing company uh, first just in IT and then eventually doing programming and development and stuff. Uh, And as graduation approached, uh, you know, it was no secret that I was doing job interviews with lots of people, you know, had flew up to Michigan to talk to IBM and, you know, talk to a a few of the larger employers around here. Um, And the, the publishing company that I worked for, you know, kind of made a, I guess what I think of as a preemptive counteroffer, you know, they basically said, Hey, look, we know you just graduated. We know you're going to have other opportunities, uh, but we'd like to keep you on here. And so, you know, here's, here's the role and salary and position and everything that we propose for you as a post college, 
you know, promotion basically. And as I was evaluating jobs that, you know, I might take, uh, one of the things that I was looking at was a buddy of mine and I were looking at starting a web development agency. And so I basically went back to my then current employer and said, look, one of the things I'm looking at is starting my own business. And one way that I might be able to do that more smoothly is by continuing to work for you guys for a while, but also, you know, working nights and weekends to start this mm-hmm. business. The The salary that they were offering me was, you know, not what IBM offered and, you know, not what some of the other big employers offered. So I kind of could use that as a a bargaining chip that said, you know, look, I'll, I'll stay working for you guys making less than I could if I went somewhere else, but I need you to be understanding that I'm trying to start this business and that I'm doing it. And, you know, at some point I'm going to be out the door here. Uh, and so that worked out pretty well. Um, and in fact, once I was ready to quit and work full time, uh, for the agency, uh, we even took a little bit of business with us from the publisher, uh, because they said, Hey, you are, you know, you're already doing our website. You've, you know how it all works. Why don't we just hire you on a maintenance contract to do this? Uh, nice. And, and that worked well because I wasn't competing at all with them. You know, they were, they're a, they were a math textbook publisher that happened to have a website. And the business I was going into was, Hey, pay me to build websites. Uh, yeah. And so there wasn't really any conflict, no, no potential that I could steal customers from them or, you know, in any way do anything shady. Um, so that, that worked out fairly well. Yeah. I think there's a lot of like wins in that story. Um, one of them that I'd like to call out, you know, for anybody listening that I think is actually really important there is the element of you using that as sort of a bargaining chip. Mm -hmm. If you're going to get a job offer, like say you're thinking of freelancing at some point in the future and you don't know exactly when yet, and you're right now in the process of looking for another salary job, if they come in with, you know, a salary offer and they're expecting you to counter, or if you're in that um, bargaining and negotiation process for starting salary, one thing you might consider doing is going easy on bargaining for salary and instead negotiating an arrangement or a a perk like that, if you will. I think you'd be surprised. Most companies are used to really arguing about salary. And so if you just give in on that while asking for some non-traditional concessions, a lot of times they will just kind of you know, scratch their heads and say, okay. So you might be surprised the extent to which you can say like, look, I'll pass on this extra $3,000 a year. If you let me, you know, run this unrelated side business that I have, like you might be surprised how often you hear an answer that's yes. Yep. And you might even be able to, you know, negotiate for time as part of that, you know, not only do I want you guys to be aware of and be understanding that I'm starting this side business, uh, I want you to give me every Friday off so that I can work on it or every other Friday off or, you know, you, you can kind of negotiate maybe less than full time uh, in lieu of trying to get a higher salary. Yeah, that's a great point, too. And, you know, even further along those lines, I've known people that um, they start a side hustle and when they're well into it and they're sort of, in, you know, in that transition period of, I think I'm ready to go full time with this. They have a good bargaining position. So they go back to the employer and maybe at that point negotiate and they say, well, you know, I'm going to probably leave sooner or later. We can make it later if for a while, you know, 
I don't work Fridays or whatever the case may be. So the more, the better your prospects with the moonlighting and the side hustle, the easier and easier it becomes to negotiate, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of, you know, if you're relatively early on, there's certain like tactical considerations too. Like you probably want to decide fairly quickly how upfront you're going to be, or um, assuming you haven't signed anything to the contrary, maybe you're just um, in a, you know, they're not asking and I'm not volunteering kind of situation. Um, that's actually going to make a big difference. Like how worried you are and how much you want your employer not really to know about um, what you're doing will actually have a huge impact on your like positioning and marketing. Cause mm. imagine if yeah. you can throw on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Hey, I, you know, I help these types of clients do these types of things that makes inbound marketing a lot easier, networking a lot easier. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to cover all that up, everything has to be kind of like back channel word of mouth. Yep. Yeah, I mean that trying to keep it secret I I I agree is kind of, you know, you're you're playing on hard mode at that point because you know, any traditional marketing or advertising or you know, trying to get the word out that you would do in the normal course of business, you kind of need to not do to make sure that your employer doesn't you know, see that ad or get wind of your marketing or you know, any of those things. Um, so yeah, th that definitely makes it harder and means that you really only have word of mouth. Uh, and even that you're kind of trying to keep under wraps to some extent. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what I did, um, I was working for a company and I decided I had actually just finished, I was getting a master's in computer science at night. Um, and when that degree finished, I had this chunk of full uh, free time. So I decided I'd start a blog and a website and do some moonlighting. And the thing I did that mitigated that a little was I created um, the branding for that, which was DevTech. And this was, goodness, eight years ago or something. And so at the time, I had it in my head that I had to pretend to be, you mm -hmm. know, an agency or whatever. Yep. So it was like, you know, you could just picture the copy on the yeah. site. Like, well, here at DevTech, we do this. <laughs> <laughs> And yep. it's funny I've, to think I've back on that, but that was just what you did. Like, I got to make business cards. I got to do all this stuff. Yep. But it sort of shielded me from having to go into it like at work because I did have the blog and the company brand name. I weirdly at first, like, didn't put my name on it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that didn't last too long. I eventually did. And then a couple of years after that, I said this whole, like, we do this and that is stupid. This is just my personal brand. But yeah. Um, so you, you might have the option to incorporate, which I, I would frankly kind of advocate anyone who's considering freelancing to do sooner than later. But you can incorporate, you know, have a brand and at least start laying the groundwork under that brand, uh, writing blog posts, getting some traffic. Then you're at least, you know, making the difficulty somewhat less than on, you know, yeah. crazy difficulty mode. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but yeah, still, if you... Knowing what I know now, like there's, it's really tough to get leads if you're not able to, to be really public and upfront about, um, what you're doing when, when you're talking to people that just makes it so difficult. And I'm trying to think how, so the first gigs I got were all word of mouth, um, people that I knew from before or had maybe done work with at times before reaching out to them one-on-one -on -one and saying, Hey, you know, this is what I'm doing. So 
Well, I, you know, now that I think about it, I guess it also kind of depends on what your hustle is going to be. If it's like freelance app dev, which is what I was doing, um, it's a lot harder. If you were to do something like build an app to put in an app store, you know, that might be easier. Yeah. But I guess the long and short of it is if you have to be secretive about it, you're really hamstringing yourself. So if this is a serious career plan for you, I would figure out a way to get yourself to a position where it doesn't have to be a secret um, is probably the, the takeaway there. Yeah. And, and, you know, even all the other practical considerations aside, just trying to keep things secret can be stressful and sucky and, you know, not fun. So if you can avoid that, I would recommend avoiding it. Yeah, I agree. It's, it feels weird and it does, it, it's good when all of your experience can kind of build on itself. So if you're out moonlighting and you're building valuable experience, like wouldn't it be great to be able to say at work, Hey, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was doing this over the weekend and I discovered X instead of, you know, being weird about it and saying like, <laughs> yeah, Oh, I was, I was doing something that totally wasn't for pay <laughs> you know, or whatever. Yeah. Like it's good to be able to speak to all of your different experiences. So I, yeah, I would, I would definitely do your best to to get things um, out in the open. So one thing I'm wondering about, Jeremy, that like people, you know, given your story, um, people who are thinking of moonlighting, like as sooner or later, that'll get successful enough that you're really busy. How did you know when you were ready to make that flip and say like, okay, this moonlighting is more than just moonlighting. It's time to, time to go, time to flip over and do this full time. Um, well, I, I would say that I made the decision poorly at the time. Uh, we, our new agency had started to get busy. We had some work coming in the door. Uh, it was not nearly enough work to pay both me and my business partner, you know, anywhere even close to what we needed to really make to, to be comfortable quitting our jobs. My business partner at the time, his father was a banker. And ended up, you know, obtaining for us uh, a line of credit business loan. And kind of once we had that in hand, we decided, hey, we okay, we can borrow some money to pay ourselves while we ramp up the, the agency. And, you know, we, we had enough work that it really wasn't realistic to be doing it all on nights and weekends. We, we had just been running ourselves ragged trying to do everything. Uh, but it also wasn't enough to, you know, cover that that financial gap. And so when we we had the loan come into the picture, we kind of stupidly just jumped in with both feet uh, and immediately <laughs> started drawing on that loan pretty heavily uh, to pay ourselves just to be able to try to float the agency. Uh, and so over the course of, I don't know, five or six or seven years, we ended up borrowing little over a hundred thousand uh, dollars to you know cover gaps here and there and uh, looking back you know I, I wish we would have done that differently and had you know focused more on raising our prices or finding more valuable work or all the mistakes that I made with that agency could be a whole different show <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah it was the it was the loan you know having that loan money available was really the triggering event for me that was when we decided, okay, we can, we can quit our jobs and focus on the agency. And so that's really not a, a good reason. And I 
really wouldn't recommend to anybody else that that be, you know, the, the instigating event, uh, for you. Uh, I would try to have it be more related to, you know, the freelancing is making enough money that I can pay my bills and not, even if I lose my full-time paycheck. That was, sorry, I was kind of a long meandering answer to that question. That's really interesting. I was kind of trying to think as you were describing this, because I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't know that that seems so crazy or whatever. I'm just thinking of my own story. Like, basically, the, I had been moonlighting for a number of years, you know, doing various kinds of freelance work, application development, content creation, sometimes training. And I made the jump because I... um I'd had a few jobs within a few years, and the last one was a leadership gig. I was the CIO of this company, and it just wore me out. And I kind of became convinced that I was just done with the nine-to-five world. So I didn't have a great plan. I sort of had enough sideline income that I thought it would probably work, but there was still a gap. So I didn't take out a loan. I just kind of jumped off mainly (laughs) on the basis that I was sick of being a salaried employee. Yeah. And it worked. And I sort of have to think that like the moonlighting to full-time free agent transition, probably everybody has some variant of a story of that leap of faith, because it seems unlikely to me that you're going to have a full-time salaried job and you're going to build up enough moonlighting income to just kind of like replace it, you know, at the snap of a finger and say like, okay, this is the cutover, and now I officially, you know, I'm making 150k a year or whatever it is. Um, so I think probably if you're gonna take your moonlighting to being your full time thing, whether it's through a loan or a leap of faith or going through savings or whatever it may be, that there's gonna be something there. I, you know, I don't. I'd be interested in examples to the contrary, but <clears throat> I imagine that's common. Yeah. So. That just made me think of a of a mistake that I know I've seen people make when trying to go from full time to freelancing uh, that impacts the amount of money that they even can make in freelancing. And the fundamental mistake is this. They look at their full time job. They calculate a rough hourly salary and say, hey, I make I make 80 bucks an hour at my at my day job. Since I'm just getting into freelancing and I'm new at it, I should probably charge $50 an hour for freelancing. Mm. And so right off the bat, they're, they're hobbling their ability to make more money at freelancing than they could at their day job. And my advice would be, once you've figured out what your effective hourly rate at your day job is, you want to go higher than that for your freelancing. You're selling your nights and your weekends at that point, and that's your time, and that time is more valuable than your day job time. And so that should be, you know, one and a half times what you make at your day job or two times what you make at your day job. You want to get it to where you can make the same money freelancing by spending less time than you spend at your day job. Because ultimately, that's what your business is going to be. Even if you're freelancing full time, you still need time to work on your business and not in your business. So you need to, you know, assume that your average week, you're not going to bill 40 hours to clients. You're going to bill 30 hours to clients or 24 hours to clients or something that gives you time to still be working on your business, you know, doing your 
biz dev stuff, uh, finding new clients, building your own marketing materials, all that kind of stuff. And so right off, right off the bat, you want to make sure that you make more effectively in your freelancing activities than you make in your day job. Absolutely. That's a great point. So the rule of thumb, I remember, I mean, <clears throat> like any other, this is pretty arbitrary, but I used to advise people, if you want to figure out how much to charge moonlight, here's moonlighting, here's your starting point for hourly stuff. Take your annual salary and um, make that your hourly rate. So if you make $100,000 a year, your, your hourly rate, call that $100 an hour, 125K a year, charge 125 an hour to start. And I think um, another reason that doing something like that is so important is because if you're going to fail to be able to get that kind of rate, wouldn't you rather know it like at the get-go when you have pretty much zero risk yeah. than when you're trying to make a living of it versus like let's say you're making that 100000 a year and you say, well, um, I'm new to this, so I'm going to charge 50 an hour. You might well prove to yourself that you can do that 50 an hour, but maybe later when you're trying to increase your price – when you're on your own, um, you start failing to do that. You would definitely want to learn that lesson when the stakes are much lower. So I think that's a great point. Yeah. And a lot of people kind of tend to have this idea of, uh, you know, I need to start low and work my way up and pay my dues and all that kind of stuff that, you know, I, I really don't think that that matters to clients or prospects at all you know they're they're not interested in have you paid your dues and they don't care you know that you've worked your way up they're they're worried about what value can you deliver for me deliver to me for whatever it is that i'm going to pay you and if you can you know be confident that you are delivering value uh you can really skip the whole i paid my dues and got paid crap for it stage yeah, and I think that's a situation where, you know, we're we're talking in general, I guess, about how to how to moonlight with an employer, but like in, in many cases that's restrictive, but there that can help you because you're you're not starting in a vacuum. You've got this, you know, set of um salaried employment history with, you know, various job descriptions and responsibilities and achievements. And so even if you feel this inclination, like, hey, I'm brand new to freelancing. Well, you're not brand new to delivering value. You've been yep. doing something for your employer. Yep. And so you can lean pretty heavily on that and say, look, I have a lot of experience doing X. I've done it at three different companies, so I can do it as a moonlighter for you. Yeah. And <clears throat> and you don't want your employer catching wind of the fact that you're doing the same job for somebody else for half the money. You know, that's not going <laughs> to, you know, that's going to make them reevaluate the value that you bring to their organization. And, huh, if, if they're willing to do this for half what I'm paying them, maybe I should pay them half what I'm paying them. That is an excellent point. I never would have thought about that. That actually might fall on the other end. So if, if you do that, your employer is not going to chop off your ore, so to speak. He's going to give you that ore and put you in a smaller boat, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it could work out poorly. Yeah, I guess so. On the on the idea of not running afoul of an employer, for me, I think um, a lot of it is just kind of like, you know, imagine your manager, imagine like a specific person, and you, you don't want to get that person in trouble or put them in awkward positions. So a lot of it is just kind of steering clear of situations where you would do that, you know, 
um, getting your priorities wrong, uh, doing a poor job at work. So if you are committed for a full-time arrangement to somebody, that's a pretty serious commitment. So one of the first things you need to do is evaluate whether you're up for, you know, a 50, 60, whatever hour week. Um, yeah. Because if the answer to that is no, if you've got a lot going on in your personal life or other things that may make juggling all that really hard, it's going to start to show at work and you're going to start to do a poor job and people will notice uh, you're going to make it a problem for someone. So whether it's, you know, doing your job well, whether it's not betraying a trust, um, not creating conflicts of interest, poaching clients, like all of those things fall under the general heading of, you know, do what you're going to do in your spare time and have your side hustle, but don't make it a problem for anybody. Yeah. So one other like arrangement that I've seen work when I had the agency that I previously mentioned uh, at, you know, once we kind of did finally get things rolling to a reasonable point, we, you know, were making decent money, uh, had even hired some, some additional help. You know, we had a couple of designers that were on staff. Um, we ended up to where we would really encourage our designers to do moonlighting stuff and would sometimes even feed them leads uh, for jobs that we as an agency couldn't take for whatever hmm. reason. Uh, you know, we would have sometimes, I, I think really the first time we did it, uh, one of our designers brought a prospect and said, Hey, I've met this guy He's starting a, a nonprofit agency and he needs a logo and a website. And, you know, it was more or less the kind of stuff that we did. And so we, we talked to the guy and it just turned out that, you know, he didn't have the kind of budget for, the pro, you know, the size of project that we normally did. Uh, and we, at that, it was, this was kind of at a point where we were finally starting to realize that, Hey, you don't have to take every job that comes across the desk of the agency. You know, we can be selective and we've identified that smaller jobs really for us seem to be more effort than they're worth. And so we're going to, you know, kind of start setting a floor of what jobs we take. And this, this prospect fell beneath that floor. And so we told our designer, you know, said, Hey, we, you know, thank you so much for bringing this prospect to us, but it's just not going to work out. He's, you know, it's not the size of project that we need to be working on as an agency. If you would like to do work for him directly, please feel free, you know, negotiate whatever you want with him. Uh, we won't get in the way, you know, more power to you. Please do that. Hmm. Uh, and then that that ended up working out pretty well. And then over the course of the next year or two, we had another couple of prospects, I think, that were more or less the same. You know, for whatever reason, we weren't going to take the job. Either we were too busy or it just wasn't the kind of thing that worked for us. And so we you know, told our designers, hey, you know, here's somebody that we know needs the kind of work that you guys do. If you want to pick it up as a side job, please feel free to talk to them. Um, you know, I recognize that that's not how a lot of uh, a lot of places are going to operate. And it it was it did put us in kind of the weird position that in some ways uh, those designers were competing directly with us, but on jobs that we had already said we didn't want. So, you know, we didn't really care in that respect. But the, it, I realized that that's kind of muddying some of the, the 
the things that we talked about earlier about not competing directly with your employer, but yeah, uh, you know, might be a situation that someone might might find themselves in. So that's really interesting because I think you know, for most people listening out there, at least it's been my experience that employers will usually shy away from that, citing the reason that you're sort of acting as an agent of the company almost, but without um, the employer's oversight. So I know that's mm-hmm. a like yeah. I've I've talked to managers and people in the past because I've actually been working for companies and had clients approach me saying, hey, do you want to do some work for us directly? And the trouble there was the company was saying, well, we don't really want you kind of like writing your own paper. And, yeah. you know, because even if you don't officially represent us, you sort of do. Yeah. But um, I love that concept, you know, as, you know, somebody who's running an agency and whatnot, because it almost seems like a great perk to give employees like, you know, we'll pay you as well as we can. Mm-hmm. And we'll do all sorts of things for you. And then here's this other perk. Like if we don't, um, if, if a piece of business isn't right for us per se, you know, we can give you a line on making some extra money. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. I, you know, I felt good about doing it at the time. And I think, uh, artists designers that took advantage of it uh enjoyed it and you know i can i can certainly uh imagine that there are scenarios where that would not have been a good decision for us to make and it you know it it may where it may very well have even not been a good one for us to make at the time and we just didn't recognize it because there were a lot of other mistakes we were making at the time yeah i don't know so probably um I think it's cool. It's you might hit like a knee point as a company where I don't know the the risk of that gets too high or something. I, yeah. I really don't know. I personally, in all my business dealings, I sort of favor being easygoing about things and not trying to place restrictions on people. So I love that. But for anyone listening out there, I don't suspect that arrangement is super common from a, an yeah. employer. No, you know, maybe uh, uh, people have different experiences, but I imagine that they're not going to do that. But it's yeah, it's an interesting topic on the whole. I mean, moonlighting is always, I guess, in some way, like, you know, I, I imagine for the most part, you're not going to go to an employer and say, hey, I want to moonlight. And the employer says, that's great. You know, we're, we're excited <laughs> for you to do that. So it's really kind of a question of, you know, picking the strategy, sticking to it, making sure you're not violating.